Jared, good to see you. How you doing? I'm doing well, Ben. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm on four hours or so of sleep uh, that wow. the election night uh, <laughs> results kept me up. And then just uh, thinking a lot about uh, the results of this Queens District Attorney primary and all the other things that are sort of happening in, in New York politics around it and what it means and uh, and all that. And we'll get get into that in a moment. But uh, always, even with very little on the ballot, always election night is a big night for me. Elections are exciting and they're yeah. important. And yeah, we are at this interesting moment here. And I think our show will kind of be, be woven through with this where when we were talking last week, the legislative session was about to wrap up. And now it has. Uh, we had the Queens District Attorney Democratic primary yesterday, and we'll talk about those results. Obviously, very uh, important, inconclusive, uh, but certainly suggestive of some some major change. And then tonight we have the first presidential debate, the first full presidential debate, where half the crowd, half the <laughs> half the allowed field, will be there, including our own. Bill de Blasio. So uh, we're at an interesting juncture in politics. It's summertime, but there's plenty of political stuff going on and policy stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, well, why don't we start with the Queens DA primary results? I mean, that's obviously the pressing issue and really making national headlines, The as you said, what we think uh, the results look like. We should say off the top for those not paying close attention um, that public defender Tiffany Caban Declared victory. Looks like she's going to win, but Melinda Katz, the Queensborough president, who appears to have come in second, is not conceding yet. Um, there's roughly 1,200 votes, I believe, separating them. Separating them. Uh, with maybe somewhere in the vicinity of three to 4,000 votes still to be counted. Those are affidavit, absentee, military ballots, very close race, remarkable geographic split in where the candidates did well. Really interesting turnout numbers. It was not a high turnout election, but the 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 boom in turnout in Western Queens to sort of make up for the fact that Katz did well everywhere else just about, um, you know, really fascinating stuff there. So Caban looks like she's won. She's declared victory. Katz is not conceding. And we might not have the real final result, results for another 10 days or so here. And throwing a little more confusion into it just this afternoon, we heard from the uh, person who was the sort of default Republican challenger, who at this point, whoever wins the Democratic primary, presumably now is Tiffany Kabam, would be uh, their only um, their only uh, opposition between between now and winning is apparently uh, not going to run. Not necessarily going to run, uh, right. Because he's raised no money. And Daniel Kogan, I think is his name, uh, well, raised no money, or has no money, and is maybe planning not to run a race at all, which is an interesting sort of post-primary news break. Well, I went into the, right, it is. I mean, I went into this primary thinking that if Caban won, we could see some different things move around for the general election. You know, one of the interesting things about New York moving the primaries from September to to June is that now you have an extended period between the primary and the general election and you have a bit more time for things to develop. Uh, someone like a Greg Lasick who came in third in the primary and actually, you know, his vote share of 14, 15 percent clearly hurt Melinda Katz. Um, uh, you know, he he's someone who is the most conservative, more or less, at least of the of the top contenders in the Democratic primary. You know, I, I haven't done any reporting on this, but I, I've just always been thinking, you know, if Caban wins, 
moderate Democrats, Republicans, independents in Queens, they might be looking for a new candidate for the general election. So he could potentially make his way onto the Republican line or something else. We're not going to know what the November ballot's really going to look like for a few more weeks, I think. And that will depend, obviously, not just on, on his own decision making. He got about 14 percent in last night's race to 33 and change for Gabon and 32 percent from Linda Katz. Uh, so he was, uh, you know, I guess a strong third in that in that seven person field. It's about obviously his own uh, personal decisions. And then it's also about what the establishment in Queens wants to do if they're willing to accept this result, which obviously is not the result that the Queens Democratic Organization wanted. It's the second time in as many years that they have been <laughs> upset, although this one could not have been quite as much a surprise no. as the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was. There'd be no reason for it to, uh, you know, when, when Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and the New York Times are backing the candidate, there's a right. there's a hint in the wind that change is coming. Uh, but whether they decide to um, actively or tacitly or through passive activity uh, support some sort of challenge to Gabon would be fascinating to see. Well, it's pretty tricky, too, because they are being sort of overwhelmed by this ascendant progressive movement. Yet they should realize that they need to figure out ways to work with that movement and sort of uh, align better the different elements of the Democratic Party. And if there's going to be a county organization, which, of course, you know, there should be to help organize, you know, county uh, officials and and workings and get people on the ballot and stuff like that. Um, you know, they probably need to open up the process more. They need to work with uh, some of these activist groups and advocates and some of the new power players. They need to figure out sort of how the establishment gets back together with the Working Families Party. You now have the Ascendant Democratic Socialists group. Um, very interesting dynamics there. But I'll also say, you know, there's almost two branches of the establishment when it comes to this question about the, the Queen's DA race. The other branch of the establishment is like law enforcement and the people in the DA's office and around it and the courts and the folks that Tiffany Caban is promising to come in and shake things up. You may have lots of folks in that establishment begging someone like Greg Lasik to give it a shot in the general election. He got all the law enforcement and court officer union endorsements in the primary you know, Caban spells, you know, a whole shakeup of this of this calcified system. They they're probably a little bit scared. And and I think that is a great point and one that will resonate even beyond election day if Caban wins with this extremely ambitious, very uh, I say radical in the truest sense, a total change of direction for what the DA's office will be. Getting that bureaucracy to actually implement that change, despite what I imagine will be considerable resistance from people who, frankly, sign up for a different kind of gig, um, will, be, well, I think, be telling us something that will be uh, harder to see because it won't be reflected in the ballot box, but uh, but will certainly be affecting how her how she performs in, in that job. What are your you know What are a couple of the sort of big macro takeaways of of this result? I mean, it's a twelve percent turnout, roughly. Not that many votes, but she won. <laughs> there was a good bit of media coverage of the race because it was more or less the only game in town in the whole city, pretty much, for this off-year election. Um, so, you know, a lot of people, if they pay attention to the news at all, had some sense there was a district attorney race going on. Obviously, it was only open to Democrats, but there was three-quarters of a million of them in Queens. Um, so what do you think? Well, I, I have two big reactions. One on policy, I think this is... Uh, what appears to be the moment at which really mainstream politics in New York City anyway, or at least in Queens, go from a kind of halting, um, careful, orthodox embrace 
of the criminal justice reform movement to a wholesale adoption of that as public policy. This is as different from, as different as Bill de Blasio with let's largely end stop and frisk, as, lar- as different as he was from Mayor Giuliani, Stephanie uh, Caban is is from him. This is this is a total uh, switch over to an entirely different way of thinking about criminal justice, and whether this is a flash in a pan or whether it starts uh, a real trend, it is it is a major moment on policy, on politics. Since the 2018 primary in which Joe Crowley was upset by AOC a year ago today, a year ago today, mm-hmm. there has been this suspicion that there is boiling under the surface in the city and especially in Queens, this left wing revolution that all establishment politicians should be frightened of. And it was opined during the Amazon debate that that was what was motivating some politicians to be as stridently against that deal as they were. In this race, you saw the AOC movement, if you want to call it that, go from getting 12,000 some odd votes in Queens in last year's federal primary to, in the form of Tiffany Gabon, getting 33, 34, 35,000 um, in, a, in a larger area, certainly, but in a, a turnout election that had lower turnout. So I think that suggests to win a, a countywide seat of this magnitude that this leftist insurgency is real. It'll be fascinating to see how establishment politicians like you know, Mike Generis and Jimmy Van Bramer and everyone else in Queens, especially as we head toward 2020 and 2021, how they react to that. Well, that was the interesting thing, too. Um, you know, there was no room for being surprised. As you said, there was uh, f- national figures coming in and endorsing in Sanders and Warren, but you had even before them all of these local figures jumping on board where you didn't have that with Ocasio-Cortez. You had Ocasio-Cortez getting involved here, but even before her, you had the senators, Generis and Ramos. Um, you had city council member Jimmy Van Bramer and others really you know, sort of declaring that they were not going along with the establishment candidate and they were making a real break from their own county party. Now, you know, some of those folks have already had tense relationships, but someone like Senator Generis is fascinating because he's the deputy leader of the state Senate in the government. He leads the campaign committee for the state Senate Democrats. Um, so he's, you know, part of the, the broader establishment of the Democratic Party, but he breaks away from the local party uh, establishment to back Caban, you know, just, just fascinating dynamics. And obviously, he seems to have taken very clear note of the AOC dynamic, and he was out there very strong against the Amazon deal, which was right in that uh, neck of the woods that Caban did so well in here in Western Queens. Um, so, you know, those are very interesting political choices that folks made. City controller Scott Stringer, the only mayoral candidate uh, likely for 2021 that we know of right now, jumping in behind Caban while you had some others with cats. So just some really interesting choices there. And, and, the, go- I, and the governor with cats. It's oh, worth, yeah. Worth mentioning that uh, a week after, you know, the session, uh, uh, the rent reforms were passed, um, largely without his input and people questioning whether that meant that, uh, that Andy Cuomo had lost some juice. I'm not saying this is dispositive on that question, but it is interesting that his his chosen candidate lost in this, in this very high profile race. But even that is strange because he did nothing other than help her raise a little money. And in some radio interviews, he said, yeah, I think she's a very solid candidate and I'm backing her. You know, he was asked at a press conference today about the results and he basically poo-pooed it because he's, you know, he said it was a low turnout election and anything can happen in these low turnout elections. You can have this, uh, you know, sort of 
vocal minority win an election and upset you when you don't bring enough, you know, not enough voters come out to vote. And it's fascinating because he did no rallies with cats. He didn't make any campaign stops to try to bring out his base for her. Um, so, you know, that that's, he, he, he got involved. I'm not sure why, if you're going to only get involved to that extent. I can't believe you said poo pooed on the air. Yeah. Is that one of the seven Do words? Beep, it's not, it's not one button. of the seven words. I want to point it, people it, real quick to, uh, the map of this election and we have it embedded in our recap of the, of the outcome of last night. Uh, from Steve Romalewski of the Center for Urban Research at CUNY. Uh, just a great visualization of where Caban's votes came from, where Katz is, and where LASIK did very well and, and hurt Katz. Sorry, you were going to say. I was just going to say, if you want to weigh in on this, we're shooting the breeze here. We're going to have on Senators Liz Kruger and Zelnor Myrie in a few minutes to talk about what was accomplished and, and what wasn't accomplished in Albany this session. But we'd love to hear from you, too, about that topic or the others we're going to get to. So the number here in the studio is 212 212- 209-2877. Please call in. That's 212-209-2877 here on listener-sponsored uh, non-commercial radio, WBAI, listening to Max and Murphy. And segueing now, sure. well, we, in the few minutes we have uh, left before we turn to state politics, to tonight's presidential debate. What do you, what as a, as a Metro reporter and a political reporter here, what are you looking for? Well, you know, Mayor de Blasio is going to be on the on the stage with nine other candidates, 10 tonight, 10 tomorrow. Um, he obviously needs to introduce himself to a lot of voters around the country. Uh, he needs to make at least a strong impression that he has things to say and he has interesting either accomplishments to talk about or policy ideas moving forward and make an impact. I think he knows that. I think he knows that he needs to make a bit of a splash. So I imagine he'll be ready with at least a few one-liners, statements, even new policy proposals. I'm calling for, you know, you name it, you know, maybe he wants to talk about pre-K nationwide in some way to connect his experience to his now developing platform, which he still doesn't have. He just has been talking about his accomplishments. So that'll be interesting. And then I'm also looking to see how he differentiates himself. Does he try to really make clear differentiations between the other candidates on the stage with him tonight and perhaps one of the candidates not on the stage with him tonight, which is Vice President Joe Biden, former Vice President Joe Biden, who de Blasio has been going after a little bit. He'll be in night two, but I think de Blasio might try to go after him a little bit. What are you looking for? Well, I think, you know, that we've we've talked about this before. Mayor de Blasio is a a smart man, a a disciplined politician, and a careful debater. He doesn't make huge mistakes in debates. And so is unlikely, one would think, to make the kind of uh, gaffe that's going to be repeated endlessly on the cable cycle and become synonymous with the end of his career. What I think is interesting, you have 10 candidates, two hours um, on the stage, Will de Blasio have a chance to talk about issues that are in his wheelhouse? It's not guaranteed. You know, I don't know what the um, how the breakdown of, of topics will be, but it could be he gets his chance on a foreign policy issue someplace where he obviously has not said a lot as as mayor of New York. Um, although in his past, you know, as a, as a youthful activist in Nicaragua <laughs> and elsewhere, he obviously had an interest in foreign policy. He went to the School of International Public Affairs. That's where his master's degree is from. So there's some level of expertise there. But I'll be looking to see that. Where does he get to to kind of make his mark and how well does he use that opportunity? And will we find out something new about Bill de Blasio? Seems odd, but if it's a foreign policy issue he hasn't dealt with yet, 
What's Bill de Blasio's sure. position on Yemen? I don't know. Right, right, right. And you know, one of the other things, I'm sure he's prepared for some of that, but I think there might be some things where he's he, he's not prepared. And I'm always interested in debates, forget who's participating, about whether the moderators let the candidates sort of dance a lot or they push them to really answer the questions. And we'll see, because he is a skilled politician, so he'll be ready to dance. The question is, you know, do they push him to really answer? And maybe a lack of foreign policy knowledge comes across that would be interesting you know the other thing i'm to go back to your question as someone you know covering the mayor closely as mayor you know one of the other things i'm really going to be listening for is how he describes what he calls his accomplishments and his work leading the city is he misleading to a national audience about his record you know clearly you go from being whatever your day job is to running for president, you are inclined to sort of present the rosiest picture, of course, possible and maybe exaggerate a little bit or push some, you know, sweep some things under the rug. So it'll be very interesting to, to listen very closely to how he uh, describes his record and also whether the moderators, again, know enough about the candidates to sort of question them on that type of stuff. Are there any individualized questions in the debate where they would push de Blasio on something like public housing or homelessness? So a lot, a lot of fascinating things to watch there. Um, but I really, you know, I really want to see, is he able to separate himself? He's going to be on the stage with one of the front runners, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Does he try to and show who, who differences there? Who is the one there? on stage who is most in his lane? Sure. Wants to think about it. So, but obviously he has been going after Biden, doesn't want to attack Warren, of course, the question behind some of this is what is Bill de Blasio's game here? What does he hope to gain? Uh, is he trying to win? Is he trying to ingratiate himself with the person who's going to be the winner because he wants a different job? That, I think, will go into some degree into what his, what his strategy is. And, and I also think, you know, there's other fascinating dynamics going on. He is down there on... Uh, for basically, he went down Tuesday. He's down there Tuesday through Thursday. You know, it's one of these things where he's mostly been making weekend trips. Now he's there for the first debate in the middle of the week. He's obviously not really mayoring. Um, how, you know, how does that go? There's some interesting labor dynamics going on. The police officers benevolent association is down there protesting him because they're always in a contract dispute with whoever the mayor is. So it's now Bill de Blasio and they're protesting him. And the mayor's coming out with a letter of support today from several other labor leaders who are backing him. Only one of them backing his presidential candidacy at this point, but they're supporting him as a as a friend of labor when you have the PBA down there disparaging him as not a friend of working people who he says his campaign is all about. I will say, though, midweek in June, airline fares to, to Florida. <laughs> to, to, uh, to it's, Miami. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's good. It's right. a good time to go if you're going to stretch your campaign dollar. I think, you know, one of the things we have to see is it does he get any type of media bump after the debate? There's only so much room, right, for certain candidates to have good moments where somebody picks up on something. There's going to be maybe some quirky things that happen, uh, as you said, perhaps a gaffe. I don't even know if a gaffe would be the worst thing for for Bill de Blasio polling at zero and one percent. I don't. I mean, you know, it's almost like engaging with the Trump back and forth and the teasing and the taunting. It's almost like any anything at this point is is possibly good. Not anything, but you know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. it, you know, it's good for him to be talked about. Right. You don't want right. something disastrous, but of course, you know, it's it's good for him to be talked about coming out of the debate. Um, 
And so we'll see. I mean, you know, this is the other thing where there might be some fascination around some of the other candidates that members of the media don't know that well. You know, a lot of the media knows de Blasio because a lot of the media is based in New York City. So maybe that will lead people to overlook him. You know, it's hard to say. Obviously, we don't want to go down that road of hypotheticals, but I'll be very interested to see what kind of bump, if any, he gets coming out of this first debate.